welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director. I'm going to start out today with a question. So do you love NSTA events like our annual meeting and convention or midwinter meeting? Well, if you do, what's better than being part of the planning process? So the NSTA Awards and Meetings Committee is currently looking for new members to join them and help develop ideas for group activities and programs at our live events. Now, if this sounds like something you're interested in, please give us a call at 703-684-3200. And you can ask for Ariana Maniscalco. Once again, 703-684-3200 and ask for Ariana. And we'll be happy to slot you on the Awards and Meetings Committee. Now, with us at the bus stop is Rich Kelly. He's president and founder of R.C. Kelly Law Associates. He's also NSTA counsel, and he's been a frequent guest on the podcast. So, Rich, welcome back. Hey, uh, delighted to be here, Kurt. Enjoy the podcast and uh, happy to talk. Great, great. Why don't we start out with, and I know you've been a frequent podcast guest, but for anyone who isn't listening to the podcast, and why wouldn't you be listening to the podcast, but for those who might be new to NSDA The Bus Stop, why don't you give us a brief reintroduction to R.C. Kelly Law Associates? Yeah, happy to do that. And again, a little, a little bit about us. R.C. Kelly Law, it's a multi-jurisdictional practice uh, specializing in school bus contractor operations. The firm has got three attorneys and as many paralegal specialists, all with deep experience in school bus law and school bus contractor operations. Like you said, we're general counsel for the National School Transportation Association, as well as for various school bus contractor state associations. Uh, We assist with uh, advocacy, outreach, and provide uh, private consultation and legal services to the school bus contractor members. Uh, in all, I'd say more than 80 to 85% of our firm's clients are independent school bus contractors or state associations for school bus contractors operating across the country. Yeah. And, you know, while you were busy, I'm sure, pre-pandemic, I'm sure you're busier times a thousand, you know, with the advent of uh, COVID-19 and then, of course, uh, the Delta variant in the picture these days. Right now, what are you seeing as the biggest issue, you know, regarding, you know, things we hear about like mask mandates and, you know, vaccines for bus drivers? Yeah, you're right on that, the busy factor. I mean, school bus operations has always been a very highly regulated area, and that's what's really created a lot of the need for this kind of uh, legal specialty. But uh, since the advent of COVID, it's just been that on steroids. You know, last year was crazy, and oddly enough, this year's stir-up for school was even more intense. I think a lot of that was the fact that most schools were either back to full-time schedules or trying to get back to full-time schedules. But it's the big three, you know, of course, masks, vaccinations, and driver shortage. I think on the mask front, you know, that's, that's one of the big, big issues there. Masking's contentious uh, across the country. You know, on, on the 21st of January, I guess, is when Biden came out with his executive order about masking on public transportation. And, and ironically, right. the public transportation uh, that, that he references, the federal statute actually excludes school bus transportation. 
But, uh, you know, the CDC was quick after that to come out with their own version of orders arising from that. But uh, in their version, they ignored the fact that the federal statute ignored or excluded school buses and their version included school buses. So so confusion has been kind of the order of the day. Yeah. And, and one question, you know, we often get and, it, you know, you kind of highlighted, I guess, the nexus of the, the confusion here is with respect to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they're mandating, you know, masks, let's say. And, you know, we hear that sometimes in, you know, what's being disseminated by the media, too. Maybe you can speak to, to that issue about the, the CDC and what they are and what they can legally do and not do. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there is a lot of, you know, where where are the boundaries there? You know, strictly speaking, you know, the CDC doesn't necessarily make laws, but they can issue orders. But those orders are still a construct of, you know, the authority of the federal government. You know, the federal government has authority, but generally that authority arises when it's a, an issue that crosses state lines, interstate commerce, things of that sort. So, you know, what you get is you get a, a federal, uh, I'll call it order or mandate or something of that sort, that tries to control things that are very often intrastate issues like the home to school, school bus routes that never cross state lines. You know, in recent months, the CDC has evolved their guidance, but more importantly, a lot of states have gotten in on it. And you've seen uh, orders coming from governors, orders coming from departments, state departments of health or state departments of education. And actually, those state orders have a lot more, I'll say, uh, enforceability behind them than the federal orders do as it relates to who can dictate laws on the on a school bus route that never crosses state lines. I mean, each state has got what is called the state's police power. The state is allowed to enact laws to provide for the public health, safety, and morals of the state's inhabitants. That's from a 1991 case called Barnes versus Glenn Theater. You know, bottom line is that includes the state's authority to require masks on school buses. You know, and, and it's interesting because you, you mentioned, you know, the big three, and it's obviously masks, vaccines, and, and driver shortage. Let's let's stick to, to masks for, for this, you know, very question. So if a contractor is working in, you know, a state, let's say the state does not have any kind of executive order or law regarding masks, because I, th- I think that I think an executive order or a law actually makes it easier to determine. But if they don't have that, what, what are we looking for? What's the next step that we're looking for? Yeah, I, I think I think that you know contractors have to look at, I'll say the the reality of individual drivers. You know, wh- when there is, I'd like to say that you know when there is a law, it makes it easier, but it doesn't always make it easier. I think at the end of the day, individuals are just that they, they react with their own, you know, personal opinions and beliefs, and some of that is resistance to mandates or even resistance to policies uh, of an employer that usually come from one or two angles. It may be personal liberty. It may be medical issues. The personal liberty angle, you know, it is might be an individual, political, or, or, or even just simple COVID skepticism. You know, the second is uh, medical issues. They may legitimately have asthma. 
uh, anxiety, claustrophobia, something that physically prohibits them from being able to effectively do their job while they're wearing a mask. So when we get calls from contractors asking, you know, how to navigate those sort of, of, of waters, we, we tell them they've got to look at it person by person, an individualized approach. It's difficult, but we tell them you can't be judgmental. You may have your own feelings, you know, about that, but you've got to put that aside and you've got to evaluate each individual based on their own circumstances of, of why they may resist or why they may have questions. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Let's morph a little bit more into the vaccine side of the equation. I mean, this gets a, a little more confusing because, you know, we could talk about the vaccine mandate by the Biden administration through OSHA, but I'm going to hold off on that for the time being and just talk about, you know, what are the problems you're seeing generally with vaccine, vaccine mandates for bus drivers? Well, you know, it's very similar to the mask mandates. You know, it's a situation where there's a lot of individualized opinion and, you know, a lot of, you know, some of it's resistance because they, they you know, don't believe in the vaccine or they're afraid of it. Uh, some of it may simply be, you know, medical. There are other reasons that they may legitimately not be able to get the vaccination. And some of it is just they're busy people and they haven't made it a priority. You know, I, I think the one thing to kind of keep it into context is that, you know, vaccine mandates have been around since the 50s, you know, with things like measles, polio, things like that. Generally, when people will protest it or, or, or contest it in a legal sense, they're looking at the 14th Amendment due process, things like that. But uh, you go all the way back to 1905, Supreme Court ruled in Jacobson versus Massachusetts that the local state law health authorities do have the authority to mandate vaccinations. That was in the context of smallpox. And, and the, the police powers, again, is what they go back to. And that goes down to the state and its legislature can act for the welfare of the public. But again, you know, we, we say it, you're not there to debate. You're really there to try to get the kids to school and, and minimize the, the drama and resistance and angst. You know, a lot of times people lose sight of the fact that school bus drivers are already required to give their physical exam annually, to give the results of drug tests, to give the results of vision tests. So asking for a vaccination card is really just an extension of that. Uh, so we usually tell contractors, you know, ask your employees for a vaccination card copy, just like you do everything else that they need to submit. And then you've got to address individually those people that are, you know, not willing to, to be vaccinated or, or perhaps maybe haven't been vaccinated yet. So I go back when I have these conversations with you, Rich, to my constitutional law class way back when. And I just remember the professor saying that the one phrase you'll fall in love with if you ever you know follow the law as a career is it depends so i always <laughs> re remember that from his 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 class and and you know as a college undergrad you don't get it back you know back then but then you know when you become involved in it later on it's like okay that that made a whole lot of sense you know that that advice but uh, you know i i know that you see it from the ground level how do you see the mask mandates and vaccine mandates now impacting that third you know, pillar that you talked about, and that being the driver shortage? 
Yeah, it's you know it, it it does depend. Unfortunately, I find myself saying that over and over. Uh, you know, generally the you know the, the the individuals that are not vaccinated fall into like three categories. You know, you've got some that are not vaccinated, but they're willing to be. They just haven't gotten around to it. You've got some that are not vaccinated, but they're willing to take a weekly or biweekly test to show that they're you know not infected. And there's some that are saying, you know, hey, I'm not vaccinated. I'm not going to test. And perhaps they may have a legitimate exemption that you know federal law recognizes, uh, a medical exemption, a religious exemption. But again, there may be ways of accommodating them as well. But you put all that in the mix and, and the question that you have, how does that impact the uh, driver shortage? You know, it was, it was tough before COVID. And I think COVID just made it more difficult. You know, that is, it, it's a, another layer of complexity and issues and I'll say obstacles. So Rich, you know, earlier you talked about the big three, those being, you know, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and of course the driver shortage. So I guess, you know, the mask mandates and vaccine mandates are impacting the driver shortage. So, you know, from the field, what what have you seen? Yeah, it's it's no doubt that these issues are uh, are impacting driver availability. I mean, there was a driver shortage before COVID and now it's just gotten uh, critical. You know, in terms of the reality of, uh, you know, vaccine policies and mask policies, you know, as far as the vaccine, drivers fall into three categories, those that are unvaccinated. Uh, Unvaccinated, but they're willing to get vaccinated. Maybe they just simply haven't had the time. Those that are not vaccinated, but they are willing to submit to periodic COVID tests to, or wear masks to show that they are, you know, not infected and and you know will protect others. And then there's a, a group that is not vaccinated and they're not going to submit to testing or wear masks. And I think the question there becomes whether or not they may have a legitimate medical or religious exemption that needs to be accommodated if it can be. You know, so it's it's a little bit across the board, but it's absolutely made the uh, driver shortage more critical. Yeah, I, and I mean, this overall, this issue is just very, you know, confusing, not just for, you know, parents and school districts, but especially for, you know, our contractor members or school op- bus operators, you know, around the country. I, I guess the question is, you know, are, are school districts providing, you know, guidelines for contractors to follow and and what's your take on that and then I'll throw another question on top of it absent you know a guideline or directive from the school district what should contractors be expected to do yeah that's that's been as you could expect a little bit all over the board you know there are some very strong minded strong willed uh, schools out there that will lay down the law in one direction or another and and give you good clear direction, whether you like it or don't like it. Uh, but there's others that have taken the other route where they're not going to you know, put themselves out there and, and demand that you either do or don't mask or do or don't vaccine uh, and, and have actually put it on school bus contractors to uh, come up with some sort of guidance to, the, to publish or to follow or things like that. We recommend the contractors keep it as simple as, as possible if they are being required to put a policy out there something as simple as the contractor will follow CDC guidance on its buses. Current CDC guidance recommends masks be worn on school bus uh, by school bus passengers and drivers subject to certain exclusions. As a practical matter, you know, school bus transportation 
guidance may change. So parents of at-risk students are encouraged to ensure that their students uh, wear masks. Violations of the policy will be reported to the school district in accordance with its standard policies on student discipline issues. The point there being that the driver can't necessarily become the mask police or the vaccination police. They can take care of themselves. They can make sure the bus is operating safely. But if a student uh, was asked to wear a mask and, and refuses or doesn't, it's a student discipline issue. You know, we don't recommend anybody gets thrown off a bus. But uh, again, it's, it's really something that the school, whether they have a policy or not, has to deal with in accordance with its own standard discipline policies. Yeah, and uh, you know, like we've been talking about the entire podcast, so many, so many moving parts here, and and leave it to me to inject one more moving part into this, Rich. But to go back to the President Biden vaccine mandate, I guess the the administration is doing this under their emergency rulemaking authority through OSHA, and it's for employees with a hundred or more workers. What do you see? as, you know, the, the future of this? Is it something, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be challenged in, in court, but uh, what, I guess, what should we prepare ourselves for? Yeah, that was, I guess, not unexpected. September 10, I think it was, Biden came out with announcing that uh, he was directing OSHA to issue emergency regulations. And, you know, that process ideally will happen quickly. We haven't seen anything come out of the Federal Register or other sources yet. But until OSHA really uh, puts their regulations in place, it's, a, it's hard to tell exactly what the impact will be. But the one thing uh, you know, to be sure of is there's things already in place, like the interactive process that we've talked about related to unvaccinated workers, to see if there's a valid claim of exemption. And if there is a valid claim of exemption, to see as a practical matter if that exemption can be accommodated in the workplace of a, of a school bus. Now, you know, contractors should try to get ahead of this curve, we'll say, as it relates to COVID testing and as it relates to who is or isn't uh, vaccinated. You know, by the way of uh, who's vaccinated or not, again, we recommend you collect the vaccination cards just the same way you collect all your other medical information that's required and start the process of talking with your employees who are not vaccinated to see if they might have an exemption. If testing on a weekly basis or periodic basis is something that is a viable option in your own situation, contractors should start reaching out now to see what costs are involved and to see if those costs are going to be paid for by the school or if the school expects those to be paid for by the contractor and what that really means under your particular contract. The last thing that contractors should be aware of is that this is some regulation that comes out of OSHA which is all about workplace safety. So the one thing that contractors may not be thinking of is the fact that their failure to comply with OSHA regulations, if an employee complains about that, you've got to take that seriously. and You've got to address it. You can't just dismiss it. There's a whole body of case law out there that protects OSHA whistleblowers. That is an employee that raises a hand and says something unsafe is happening here. And any adverse action taken against an employee that is a whistleblower um, can be prosecuted through civil claims by affected employees. So it's, you know, it, it's going to be a, a perilous uh, minefield, we'll say, to navigate. And, well, you know, we'll, we'll do that together with the members of the uh, NSTA. Great, Rich. A lot of great information. 
you know, on this podcast. Before we go, let's just talk about the NSTA Business Council program and how folks who are NSTA members can get in touch with you if they have any questions, you know, on the ground we just covered. Yeah, it's something that gets a lot of use lately, especially. The Business Council program, it's a member benefit for NSTA members, and it provides them with the ability to talk to our legal staff here about the questions that they're facing. It's a lot simpler than most people imagine. Uh, Literally, you can call us at the office, that's 215-896-3846, or you can even send an email to help at rckelly.com with the uh, issues that you're dealing with. A lot of times we can really solve a lot or or at least do a reality check in a pretty simple consultation call. And sometimes we'll uh, have that call with the uh, the team of the contractor, that is, uh, you know, their management team, sometimes even their corporate counsel. But we can bring to the table a lot of very specialized school bus, both experience from the law perspective and from having uh, helped similar contractors through similar issues. Great. Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Rich Kelly, President and founder of R.C. Kelly Law Associates and NSTA Council. Rich, thanks so much for taking time to join us at the bus stop. And thanks for having us, Kurt. Good luck to all the NSTA contractors that are struggling with these issues.